tested for COVID. Yes. And I had to get a color-coded bracelet. Yes, like the one I'm wearing. Yes, and you know who else does that? It's the Mexican cartel. Thank you for your time, and let's go, Brandon. All right. Thank you guys so much for tuning in today. Today is actually Thursday, July the 21st. However, our, our, getter, uh, our getter followers are getting a special treat of getting an early viewing of today's episode of Secure the Border. Everywhere else, we will be airing live tomorrow at our usual time, Friday, which is July the 22nd at 7 p.m. Um, but I will be out of town for a conference, and so we just we 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 needed to go ahead and, and get our special guest on today uh, this week for sure because I just felt like it was so important. I'm so thankful he was able to come on today. Uh, but again, it'll be airing tomorrow, but it is pre-recorded today, which is Thursday. It'll be airing tomorrow, which is Friday. But our Getter followers, for those of you who follow us on Getter, you guys are getting an early sneak peek for it. Uh, so today's topic, um, and thank you guys really quick, of course, for tuning in. I am your host, your humble host, your homeschooling mom, <laughs> your favorite homeschooling mom, uh, Sheena Rodriguez with the Secure the Border podcast. You guys, of course, uh, we are on every platform. We will be streaming live on Getter, Twitter, Facebook, uh, YouTube, Twitch, and uh, Patriot TV Live. We will also soon be airing on Brighton Espanol. Um, we are uploading our previous episodes, and this episode will be uh, live on there as well soon. So check us out on Brighton Espanol, along with Latinos for America First. Shout out to my LFT family. Um, and yes, and then of course, it'll be streaming on all of our, our platforms for the podcast version. Uh, and you guys can always find it on the website as well, which is securetheborder.us securetheborder.us, along with the all-important action items and ways that you can get active, engaged, and involved and fight back against this active invasion that is occurring at our southern border. But just to go ahead and jump right on into it, please like and share, like and share, 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 because uh, today we have a very uh, special, important guest. I'm so thankful and blessed that he's has uh, a little bit of time to come uh, come on our show today. Um, and he is Mr. Kevin Lynn, who is the executive director of Progressives for Immigration Reform and uh, is also with, uh, oh gosh, hold on, Progressives. <laughs> what to help me out here, yeah, Kevin? That's right. Right. You're absolutely right. Up. Executive Director, Progressives for Immigration Reform, but I'm also the founder of U.S. Tech Workers, which Thank was because we and also we have another site called Doctors Without Jobs, another one called Our Carbon Footprints. You know, yeah, several and and L, it just keeps on going. <laughs> yes, so, it does. It does. Yes, Although and my board is reining me in. You know, we've gone down <laughs> a lot of rabbit holes. So, and you've also a contributor as well uh, to uh, Center for Immigration Studies as well. I believe. I think right, I've, I've been on panel them. discussions with them. I always say they're the brains, we're the brawn. You know, yes. we are an activist organization when, you know, I helped found Progressives for Immigration Reform uh, back in 2008. I'd been a board member for a long time. When I moved back to the East Coast in late 2016, our executive director wanted to move on. And I thought, well, I'll take it over for a year. I'll find an executive director and I will move on. Uh, well, President Trump was elected in 2016 and immigration was moved front and center. And uh, I have not had a weekend off since. It's just been that kind of world we're living in. Yes. And so you are well known and well respected in the immigration world as well because of all that you do. And I we, we met through a mutual friend uh, when you guys were over here uh, in Dallas. And I'm just so thankful for that and to get to know you a little bit. And you put out some, your organization uh, puts out some, all of them, put out some amazing articles that even if I personally do not necessarily agree, it's, 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 it's 
great information and I respect the angle and you know that you that you provide and the insight that you provide and I just to highlight as well because of course a lot of my followers uh you know are conservatives right, right. um but mm-hmm. it's it's the wonderful thing is that it's okay for us not to agree on everything like that's yeah. I, I just want to make that little caveat however you know and, and I it's it, this is where we are we're now that that's like such a you know that both sides all sides attack each other you know for for things that they don't agree with when before we used to be able to have civil conversations about things that matter to us and still be friends still be neighbors still be whatever you know but then of course we find that common ground that unites us and and that's what the establishment hates and does not want and rejects but you yes. are a true America first patriot. And, and I appreciate all the work that you do. And so I just wanted to kind of clear the air because that, that is something that, you know, I, I, I love and I value other people's opinions. Uh, and, and it's okay for us to disagree on things, but man, you, you guys are right on the money and, uh, you know, with a lot of the immigration stuff and bring some valuable insights. So I, I want to just encourage people to check you guys out. And while, while we're just getting started, if you will, and then we'll do it again towards the end, can you go ahead and just maybe share where people can also follow uh, your different platforms? Oh, absolutely. Uh, we are, of course, on Twitter and Facebook. Our website, www.ustechworkers.com. Also, www.progressivesforimmigrationreform.com or .org, rather, I'm sorry. Uh, doctorswithoutjobs.org. Um, probably our busiest page is our U.S. Tech Workers Twitter page. Uh, it's very well curated, uh, and we have a lot of blue checks that follow us there from media, politicos, uh, activists. Uh, that's where a lot of our information goes out on a daily basis. And then I would encourage everyone to when they visit our website to sign up for our newsletters on both U.S. Tech Workers and PFIR, because every other week uh, the U.S. Tech Workers newsletter comes out, and uh, it's usually we are. There's that old adage, you know, you know you're over the target when you're catching a lot of flack. Well, <laughs> that's when we catch a lot of flack on the uh, Saturday after our newsletter comes out on Friday when the world kind of just gets hit with a, a lot of a reality check there. And then once a month, we publish our Progressives for Immigration Reform uh, newsletter. Yes. Thanks so, for that, Tina. Yes. I, I just, I, I, I really, truly, it's an honor to get to, to, to get to know you and, uh, and all that you guys do. So uh, really, truly, and honestly, and I'll make sure as well, uh, since this will be airing tomorrow, that we will include all of those tags as well to your your social media pages, um, and then the website once it once it's up and going. Right, we uh, uh, we uh, we had a pretty significant denial of service attack last Friday after the newsletter came out, and we'd, we'd excoriated a couple of uh, former and. Uh, DOD employees that were doing some really bad things in the immigration realm. And I believe the uh, title of the newsletter was so-and-so holds an immigration webinar and and no one's an immigration expert. So essentially they're just espousing deep state talking points. (laughs) It made for some good fodder, but I think I pissed a lot of people off. (laughs) Of course. I mean, because, you know, that's, and that's one of the things too, when it, when you're America first, you're, anti-establishment because we are America first and you are a target <laughs> and, and you guys are putting out some hard truths out there that they don't like. So I will make sure that we go back out there and put all your social media handles in there in the comments of uh, every platform that we air on and also on our podcast version as well. But I want to just jump right into it if we can. Right. Um, if, if Let's go ahead. The very first thing that we really wanted to talk about was because there's been some flack Uh, When you talk about when we talk about the establishment, you know, apparently with the NDAA, which was the National Defense, uh, basically like the Appropriation Act, Mm -hmm. right, essentially the the appropriations, which, you know, spending our hard earned tax money, of course, you know, um, but in there was some very um, colorful amendments 
that when we pulled up and, and you guys, if you guys follow our social media pages, um, you guys have seen the newest citizens call to action. And I will be uh, airing that towards the end of this as well. So this way you guys can start getting active if you haven't seen it. And we'll be blasting it out on via email on what you guys can do from what we're about to talk about today. But, uh, you know, saying that this is an amnesty, that it was an amnesty that they passed. Um, and, you know, we had some new uh, congressional, um, you know, Congresswoman Myra Flores, um, unfortunately, was one of those who, who voted for this and, and coming back and saying, no, it wasn't amnesty. Come on, you're just you're just fringe groups. The people who are calling this that y'all don't really know, um, you know, almost as typical, just falling lock and step with with the regular establishment of saying you guys are just you're, you're just deplorables. You don't know what you're talking about. You can't read. Apparently you can't read and comprehend for yourself. And you don't know also how to check to make sure that like I actually voted for this. Well, we did all the hard work. Uh, Pamela, one of our um, amazing volunteers went and we went through all 11,006 pages of the NBLOCK uh, Amendment 4, <laughs> just that one alone. And we found the exact verbiage and we checked and double checked and then re-verified everything, including those who voted the Republicans here in the state of Texas um, who right. voted for it. So let's just dive right on in and, and let's talk about that. Sure. You know, the, the, the interesting thing, the 62 Republicans voted for that amendment into the NDAA. Uh, interestingly, uh, three Democrats didn't. <clears throat> One of them was AOC, Ilian Omar, the people you wouldn't expect. However, they voted against it, not for the reasons we would prefer them to. They were like, it didn't go far enough. But let me put to rest uh, that notion that this was is not a, an attempt at an amnesty. Uh, what it is essentially, and let me put this in some context for your listeners too, because what we're really talking, the it's referred to as aging out. The documented dreamers came here as children and they're now aging out. Let's explain how all of this came about. There is an employment visa. It's called the H-1B visa. It came into existence in 1990. It was signed into law by George H. Bush and it created several employment visas programs we'll probably talk about today. But the H-1B visa is interesting because it was designed to displace American white-collar workers. Uh, these aren't the high-skilled uh, workers where the, the, that the mythology around them is. These are quite ordinary workers. In fact, in cases like Disney, SoCal Edison, Northeast Utilities, Abbott Labs, as and recently Vanguard, uh, CSX uh, Technology, uh, a large uh, healthcare provider in Ohio, what they do is they, they, these companies, they contract to outsource their back office work. In a lot, many cases, it's IT. Others might be accounting or customer service. And what they'll do is they will outsource to typically a consulting firm that is what we call H-1B visa dependents. It means they have more than 15% of their workers are H-1B visa holders. And in cases like the Indian-owned ones, such as Infosys and Tata Consultancy Services, it's, it's the vast majority of their workers are H-1B visa workers. So that's setting kind of the basis for this. So what happens is every year, rough between... About 100,000, let's just say, because it's 85,000 in the lottery and maybe another 20,000 uh, for universities and nonprofits. Uh, we bring in workers uh, that are on the H-1B visa. Now, over 74% of these workers come from one country, and that one country is India. There's a reason for this. So we have this pipeline of labor that comes in. And... Uh, like most employment visas, they're here for three years and then they could probably extend three years or it's seasonal, but they have to go home. Not so with the H-1B visa. And this sets up what the provision that's in the NDAA. The H-1B visa is a dual intent visa. So someone comes over here as a temporary worker, but their company 
can sponsor them for a green card, which is a pathway to citizenship. Now, uh, so typically what will happen, someone comes from India, they work for three years, they'll get a three-year extension, and then their company will apply for a green card for them. Now, that wouldn't be a problem, except we have country quota. We have quotas for every country that we uh, allot green employment green cards to. Uh, no country can have more than 7%. Now, for the past decade, India has been getting 24 25% because if, let's say, the country of Nepal doesn't use its whole 7%, that can roll over into countries that are oversubscribed. Now, why are so many Indians in this, what we call the green card logjam? Why are so many Indians taking decades to get a green card when most when people from the rest of the world typically can get an employment-based green card in a, couple, a year or two? Well, the reason is the country cap. So we have this huge number of Indians waiting to get a green card. Now, if they brought a child over, because you, know, you can bring your spouse, you can bring your children, and what happens is they've been in this green card, so this, this log jam so long that the kids are now turning 21. And by law, they need to go back to their home country. Now, I don't know of any cases where they have returned to their home country. Many just become college students or, you know, stay on. Uh, but that's the law. So what this law, what this provision does, it says, hey, you know, if your kid came here and they were 13 or younger, they can apply to not be removed from the country for aging out. But let's put this in more perspective. So if this happens, all it does is incentivize what I call bad behavior. Again, you know, we have, Indians are highly subscribed to the H-1B visa because they are desperate to get to the US and desperate to become citizens here. And as I'd mentioned before, what this leads to, for those who thought that they were going to get uh, degrees in science, technology, engineering, math, STEM, uh, you're gonna find yourself uh, in a tricky, pretty precarious situation uh, three, four years into your career because you can find a lot of this the more mundane IT kind of, of work being outsourced to these H-1B visa dependent companies. And again, the people come here, uh, they take part in these outsourcing. So let's just say uh, a great example was Disney where over 200 IT workers were called in one day, a woman who uh, is a was a database manager is called in after being there for 12 years. She really thinks she's being called in because they're going to promote her. Well, they tell her they're going to fire her. And if she wants severance, she's gonna to have to train her H-1B visa replacement uh, that works for one of these consulting firms. And that's the kind of behavior that's going on. And that's what we're really rewarding with this. The problem is not to pass an amendment uh, that you know, is an aging out provision. What we need to do is reform the H-1B visa. We need to end today the dual intent nature of that visa, if not just outright get rid of the visa. Now, President Trump, to his credit, his last six months in office, uh, uh, you, you and your, your viewers might be aware, I met with President Trump on August 30th. We saved over 200 jobs at the Tennessee Valley Authority. These were union jobs that were about to be outsourced to three different H-1B visa dependent consulting firms. And that was only gonna be the first round because they were then gonna do all the back office operations, the accounting and all the, and so many other things. And, you know, fortunately President Trump, he fired the chairman and one of the board of directors of the TVA. He signed an executive order we helped draft because what a lot of people don't know is there are currently 18,000 H-1B visa holders who are handling you know, federal government data. They work for these consulting firms. They government contracts with these consulting firms. 
and we have foreign nationals, you know, <laughs> with all kinds of our, our, our federal government data from Department of Defense through the U.S. Patent Office. So first step is reform the H-1B. Now, what President Trump did, uh, there were three things. One, he uh, changed the prevailing wage. He, he moved it up. He created a rule change for that. And that's great because these workers know that they're coming in uh, cheaper. They work cheaper than the Americans. They know this. In fact, if you talk about the need to up the prevailing wage, they don't care. They know why they're here, and that's to replace Americans. And this is their pathway to U.S. citizenship. The second thing he did was he did away with the lottery. Now, you would think if you were going to be bringing in skilled people, you would be analyzing these resumes, checking credentials, seeing what kind of work experience they have, the kind of universities they went to. Uh, uh, it's a straight lottery. Over, I, th there was, I think the highest was almost 300,000 applications came in one year, and it's a lottery. 85,000 get selected out of it. And it, like a random, it, a random, it, like out of habit. Random, Sheena. It's so ridiculous. Uh, and it tells you right there, this isn't a skilled, you know, worker program. And um, so, and the other thing that he did, so he did the frailing wage, uh, ending the lottery, and also looking at what is a specialty occupation. Because when someone recruits for an H-1B visa, they have to be, recruiting for a position that is a quote unquote specialty occupation. And many of these occupations are very, very mundane and they keep broadening what is a specialty occupation. Well, the Trump administration had tightened all that up. All of that combined would have really neutered the ability of the H-1B visa to displace American workers. Unfortunately, all those rules were either uh, the DHS and DOL, they simply uh, knuckled under in court or the rule changes never got passed by the administration. And that's really tragic. And ultimately, again, what needs to be done, we need to get rid of that dual intent nature of the visa, if not get rid of that visa program altogether. It has done nothing. In the end, all it's done is made operations more efficient and include increase earnings per share. I sat down over breakfast with the director of a Fortune 200 uh, company that made uh, makes technology products. And I thought he was gonna be hostile to me when I started talking about this, but he was like, no, I, I understand. He was actually, he's from Mexico. And he said, look, for 20 years, we've been following this efficiency model, you know, better, faster, cheaper, increase the earnings per share. And he said, well, where we've suffered is on innovation and productivity. So if I were to give my guys in India or someone from India working here, you know, something, and I told them specifically how to do it, it would be done really well. They're great. But if I come to them with a problem, searching for a solution, crickets. But, you know, Americans, a lot of folks from other parts of the world, you know, they'd come back a couple weeks later and we'd start spitballing ideas. That's innovation, that's productivity, that's a feedback loop that's healthy and working. And that's what we're, we don't have with these employment visa programs. And so that's why I have a lot of problems with this provision in the NDAA. And let me tell you something, this rubbish that this is not an amnesty, it's just that. Because what they said, and I'm not looking at the language quite clear if it's an employment authorization document they're going to get or it's a green card, but all amnesties begin that way. For instance, the, IRCA, the Immigration Reform Act of 1986 under Ronald Reagan, they didn't you know, give these illegal immigrants citizenship right away. They gave them employment documents, they gave them a green card, and then eventually, you know, the ones that chose to became citizens. So this is, for all intents and purposes, an amnesty. And it's incentivization. It's, the, it's an, an additional incentivization, just like when we're talking about the incentivization of quote-unquote legal immigration, 
uh, that's skyrocketing simultaneously while our border is wide open and the Biden regime, because I... Uh, no, I think, no, I, I could know, never call them an administration. Yeah, I call I them a cabal. I've heard junta used. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, you're spot on. I, I refuse. I refuse to. And I've never, ever, ever, ever done that. I have never not, um, e even with like Obama and others, you know, Bill Clinton, I never, I, I, I never not recognized the position, the legitimacy right. of their administration. But with the Biden regime, I refuse to. So my my viewers are used to that. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, but it's it's the same thing as their policies or lack thereof, really, is 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 incentivizing, you know, illegal more, immigration, more bad behavior. And we've, we've without doing seen. any kind of reform, and I am so sick of hearing Sheena, oh, well, let's do a bill and we'll do some reform. We'll, we'll get, do that. We'll give an amnesty. Like, no, do the reform first. And it's funny, two years ago on a Memorial Day, I had, actually, it's recorded. I did a Zoom with two very prominent Indians who reside in America. And because we were at loggerheads. And essentially what I said was this, look, you should be helping us reform the H-1B visa program. Now, you're not going to get, I know you want to get rid of the country caps. You want to get all your people in. That's not going to happen. Not so long as people like you and I, Sheena, are going to mm -hmm. stop it. And we did stop it. But I said this, I said, look, you help us get rid of the dual intent on this visa and get rid of the lottery, increase the prevailing wage, uh, refine the specialty occupation. And, you know, Americans are pretty generous people. Mm -hmm. I would bet you could go to Congress and then look at this green card backlog and petition to <clears throat> get everyone cleared one way or another. And if we got our reforms, I can promise you, I and other groups would stand down. We wouldn't we wouldn't fight it. And of course, nothing happened. They they thought that, oh, yeah, we'll jump on this, you know, like Mike Lee's S-386, Fairness for High-Skilled Immigrants Act. They thought they would jump on that and make some hay with it. Well, they didn't. And they're all just still stuck in the green card queue. <laughs> well, and what I want to do really quick, guys, uh, like and share this video today. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. I am your humble host, Sheena Rodriguez on the Secure the Border podcast with our special guest, Kevin Lynn, who is uh, the founder of U.S. Tech Workers, Progressive for Immigration Reform, Progressives for Immigration Reform. Um, so like and share this video. If you guys are viewing this on Getter, you guys are getting to see the sneak peek of it. Everywhere else will air tomorrow at our usual time on Fridays at 7 p.m. But what I want to also do is, is tie this into a little bit more. We're talking about the NDAA, the amnesty style amendment. We have a, an action item. You guys follow us on social media. We've been blasting it out. I'm going to reference to that here towards the end as we get closing uh, towards the end of our show today. Um, but we're talking about the NDAA and the passing of the amnesty style amendment and, and really kind of talking about um, the, the incentivization and then also the incentivization for legal quote unquote and illegal immigration Th this is the part and i think that the, why this is so important and i want to show a clip here in just a, a minute uh in just a moment to kind of uh re-trigger some people's uh it's been a few years i think it was back in 2019 when uh resident biden was um you know still on the campaign trail uh because this i i, I want to kind of tie it all in and bring it all home because honestly what we're talking about <laughs> Honestly, what we're talking about. Which line did you catch him in? <laughs> from his basement at that. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah. But, you know, we're America, when we talk about the America first policies, and, and, and you know, President Trump was a, a, an America first president, and everything that you just said and what you were able to work with him on, that once again showed America first. Pe reasonable people on all sides want America first. There's nothing racist or, you know, horrific about wanting America first yeah, type pull, pull all the stakeholders into the room and cut a deal that, you know, everyone can leave happy with. 
Right. What's wrong and, with that? <laughs> and, and I think what we're seeing and what I want to kind of tie into is we are seeing the assault right now. Inflation is through the roof with no end in sight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can't <laughs> grocery stores are going bare and have been since, you know, the pandemic. Um, you know, and it, it's so many other issues in addition to massive waves of illegal immigration uh, with 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 workers that are going to be, you know, flooding the lower, you know, on the on the this side, the lower uh, part of workers, you know, right, the, low, um, the lower, you know, on the lower side of the skills, yes. level, you know, when and, you look at the spectrum, you're on the yes. lower side there. I don't believe there's any such thing as a unskilled job. All right. jobs require a modicum of skill, whether yes. you're a waitress. Uh, but the reality is this, there, you know, there's some that are lower skilled and then there's others that are higher skilled on the spectrum. And, and then we're getting, and now what we're focusing on today with H-1B visas is more of your higher skill type jobs. So where does that leave the American people? So what I want to do is just show this, just give us both a break to have a, a quick second to kind of catch our breath here uh, and just, just trigger some people's memory. Um, so that's way we can kind of expand on what we're talking about here, because I think it's important to kind of show how this, everything about this regime, this, 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 the federal government in general right now is totally against America. It's, it's a hashtag America last. It really truly is. So let's, <laughs> let's air this really quick. Okay. Let's see if I can play it. Promised to put coal miners out of business in 2016, but today, former vice president Joe Biden has a different message for them. <clears throat> Learn to code. <laughs> Ask me toward the end of our administration, Joe is going to determine what the jobs of the future are. Anybody who could go down 300 to 3,000 feet in the mine, sure and hell can learn how to program as well. Anybody who can throw coal into a f- furnace can learn how to program, for God's sake. Well, next guest has nearly 40 years experience. I mean, how pathetic is that? Number one, I mean, just... Just yeah, we're take yeah, we're gonna go ahead and close the pipeline. Yeah, you're a coal worker. Just learn to code. Well, that's great. I, when we were talking earlier, I have two teenagers, right? Like I have a 17 year old that's about to be a senior this year in high school, and I have a 14 year old daughter. What is it that when you talked about the STEM program, how long for years they've been pushing STEM in the public yeah. schools, STEM and yeah. college? Uh, you know, it's the coding, it's the the tech type of jobs. Okay, great. But then they, they, then these people that, especially the college graduates, who believe that they're going to go out there and, and and somehow receive this, you know, uh, six-figure income straight out of college that they've just gotten a hundred thousand dollars in debt for to achieve this yes. coding ability and tech type of, you know, name your, just name it, right? Like the what they what they mm-hmm. push it out there, and oh wait, wait, we're bringing the H-1B. We'd rather give. We're going to go ahead and increase the H-1B visas to go ahead and take your jobs. So this is impacting the American families. And again, while they're simultaneously flooding the lower skilled, they're continuing to expand the higher skilled. And then you who are co-workers or work on the pipeline or work in factories or or work in other types of white collar jobs, because I, I used to prior when I did, you know, work out there in the mm-hmm. corporate field, I worked for City Financial Auto. And for City Financial, I, I I had to help train our the sources over there in India. So my husband's you know previous employers and jobs as well, same thing, right? So it's not just the tech that what people might think of like the tech the tech jobs like the Silicon Valley and the coders. Like I just kind of want to bring this all in on how all of this together is impacting and putting America last. I I I, I love. Being able to step back and put some perspective here, because if you know, if all we do is we argue immigration and immigration numbers, we get into this battle of good, bad, right, wrong. We we can't talk about prudent and imprudent actions. Uh, and the, what I mean by that is, we have. Uh, what we see, what's going on, whether it's what Joe Biden was talking about with the coal workers, this has been going on since the 70s. They have this efficiency template, and we saw it in action in the 1970s. 
uh, when for the, in, in American agriculture, for the small farmer, what were they told by the Nixon administration? Get big or get out. And that's what they did. All the incentives then went to large scale farming, monocropping. The fa small family farm could not economically make it. And so this efficiency model pushed, you know, for them, it was like, oh, we're going to push people off the field. We're going to make it more efficient. Fewer people will grow. What they've lost track of are is the culture in agriculture. These small farms fed whole communities. They created work, not just work, but a way of life for a lot of people in America that frankly came to an end. So off to the cities, people went off to manufacturing jobs, you know, off to doing white collar jobs. Well, then came NAFTA, GATT, the WTO. You know, remember, uh, it was like, I, I believe it was supposed to have been George H. Bush that was going to sell the country on that. But Ross Perot, God bless his soul, he got in the way, <laughs> got in their knicker. So it fell to Bill Clinton, a Democratic Party member, the party of the working man to slay all these working people, working class jobs. Well, the same model. Well, uh, you got to you can't afford to make that product here. Remember that slogan? You're some jobs don't have an economic right to exist. What insanity was that? I mean, China was eager to get these jobs. Mexico and the Miquiladoras, uh, Philippines, uh, Indonesia, all these countries really eager to get these jobs and they got them. So think about all those jobs that were pushed out then and the income tax base that went with them. You wonder why things are, aren't working, why in our cities and towns and countrysides, it's all deferred maintenance. Well, that's why the, the tax base doesn't exist. I live in a small city in Pennsylvania called Lancaster and I was walking to lunch with my intern and uh, you, you can marvel at the architecture from the early 1900s up through World War II. It's all the porticos, all the, the detail. It's beautiful. And the garbage that we started <laughs> doing in the you know, late 60s, 70s, these places that you know they probably won't outlast their depreciation, 30-year depreciation schedules, where these great old buildings where we, when we were a wealthy country when that money was staying in the communities and being recycled in the communities and, you know, not going to large, you know, big corporations in Arkansas, Bentonville, Arkansas, or being sent off in remittances to other countries, which billions and billions every year are. So that model then of efficiency and finding the low rent countries then gets applied because at this time, they're, they're, that's when they really started that mantra of, Boy, you know, uh, these jobs, we're going to we're going to have the brain jobs. We're going to be designing the, the chips. We won't be manufacturing them. All the smart and, you know, Ross Perot, a, uh, you know, a Texas hero said it best. He said the brains always follows the manufacturing. And it has. Look at China, the number of engineers they produce every year. So well, what comes to my mind, especially with China um, you know, we're pushing the manufacturing and what also does that help to promote slavery Uyghurs because oh. they're getting these, cause now they want the cheap labor. So effectively you see how this is when we're talking about putting the broader picture, like that, that's the other factor to this it's, as well. It's a, it's a continuing sweatshop. downward spiral and the best term that describes it is neoliberalism. And what neoliberalism loosely defined is the movement of people and capital uh, across international borders for one purpose, and that is to maximize profit. So a country like, you know, the funny thing is like with NAFTA, for instance, that ink wasn't even dry before those businesses were moving to Indonesia and then the Philippines and then later China and then Vietnam. Uh, in fact, Vietnam eats China's lunch in terms of labor costs right now. <laughs> so there you go. It's a, it's a, you know, because we chose to go this way, because we chose not to bolster our working people and invest in Americans. So 
Then they applied with the with the H-1B visa and the things like uh, the optional practical training program, which is a employment authorization document that we will give to someone who comes here as a student and graduates with, we'll give them a three-year EAD if they graduate with a STEM degree. Now, the problem with that is universities love it because again, it's a pathway to citizenship. So people from India and China highly subscribe to graduate STEM programs. Americans don't typically, when it comes to STEM, go right into graduate degrees. Typically they'll get a bachelor's, they'll uh, go out into the workplace for several years and then possibly go back or they'll do a, a you know a course over time while they're still working uh, at graduate level work. Uh, and unfortunately, so what happens is there are actually more OPTs coming into the country every year than there are H1Bs right now. That and there's a reason for this because companies love it because they don't have to pay Social Security and FICA on an OPT. And what, what is an OPT exactly? Uh, optional practical training. So it is a student. So for instance, you were talking about you know parents telling their kids to study STEM. Well, imagine you're an employer and you got a kid who's here on an F1 visa who just graduated with a STEM degree and you've got an American who graduated with a STEM degree. One, you don't have to pay FICA, don't have to pay Social Security to, and get this, this is the big kicker. You don't have to pay them anything at all because it's a training program. Wow. <laughs> now, you'd like to think the conscionable thing would be to pay them something, but you don't have to. And the person on OPT is like, yes, do it, because if you do that, then you can sponsor, get me on an H-1B, and then sponsor me for a green card, and I have a pathway to. It's citizen. a trade-off. A trade-off. Yeah. Trade so they'll pay full freight at the university, and in fact, oddly, as this is going to sound really bizarre, uh, roughly eighteen percent of all grants to for for graduate students go to foreign nationals. This is our own federal and state governments and other groups out there funding foreign students in U.S. universities to get advanced degrees. It's, and you wonder what's going on. Uh, but I, I say all this, and I, I'm sorry if I'm losing anyone, but I kind of wanted to put it all in perspective. We're fighting a system here. The system, and I'd like to think it, when the Berlin Wall came down, essentially capitalism won. And it's been a mop-up operation ever since. I, I, I'm a believer in capitalism, but we have it's been we all lived through it. Look, uh, my family is probably here today because of the Works Progress Administration. It would have probably been snuffed out in the 1930s if not for that. Uh, so there are times when we do need to look out for the better interests of our citizens and our workers, and we've done that successfully, but we threw it all out the window. Uh, so what we see is this mop-up operation going where things like eh, families, families get in the way of buying decisions. We get rid of them. We just become transhumans. Let's, oh, do, yeah. that. Let's do that transhuman project. Yeah. Or, you know, that those values that your religion instills in you. Come on. There's plenty of other altars to pray at. Well, and you know, and you know what all of this does, everything that we're talking about as it's all tied together, it is a fast track, like could potentially, in my opinion, that I see this happening, just skipping over socialism altogether, straight into communism. Because when we're talking about opening the floodgates for the illegal, uh, the massive illegal immigration, uh, you know, opening the floodgates for more legal immigration. And I keep putting that into quotations because it's the problems with the, the, everything that we talked about, right? With the visas and everything else. Um, and yes, of course, you know, the evil capitalism, um, why I, I am more of a populist myself. Um, and yes, of course, while capitalism is not the, it, it definitely has its flaws. And this is one of the issues that like what you're saying you know that, that that it opens the door because capitalism of course it's all about the dollar at the end of it um but that's why i believe more in a populist and of course an america first 
you know, populism. Yeah, and, and, um, and a strong republic will reign in the, the, the excesses. It's done in the past. I mean, look at people like Teddy Roosevelt, what they were able to do. Um, I mean, it, it, these excesses can be reined in if the republic is strong. But unfortunately, these effing um, globalists, they want us weak. I, I think, honestly, again, when this as this system unfolds, because... A fellow by the name of C.J. Hopkins, I think, said it best. Uh, he's a wonderful populist, a great writer. He said, you know, if there weren't a Bill Gates, the system would have produced one. If there weren't a George Soros, the system would have produced one. Because that we're fighting a system. And we have to first understand that. And the first and one of the biggest uh, one, of I think, you know, one of the things we can do, the strongest deterrence to that system is a strong republic where the citizenry is engaged in evaluating and electing their, you know, or electing their, you know, representatives. And unfortunately, when you bring in a huge number of people that don't know their way to the outhouse, uh, when it comes to our democracy, our culture, and our values, it's okay if it's, you know, a percentage, but when you're looking at 20, 30, percent you're hitting a tipping point you're not going to be able when and with the hard times that are coming and i truly believe they are i mean we we've seen nothing yet yes i agree i think that first quarter 2023 is gonna wake is gonna really wake people up and if you have a group of people that have shared values and can come together like you said you don't have to agree on everything uh, I think the minister of Saddleback Church in Orange County said it best. Uh, he was the fellow who did the invocation. I can't think of his name for President Obama when he was first uh, uh, sworn into office. And he said, you know, we don't agree on everything. And when we saw certain people in need, we went out and helped. And on that, we became co-belligerents. And I love that term because here we're here. We made, you know, there is this point you know, where we can call, come together and we're going to fight together for this. I, we may, I might have to steal that. I loved it. I mean, what is it Tom Lehrer said? Plagiarize, plagiarize, plagiarize. <laughs> I'm going to have to steal that. <laughs> we're going to be co-belligerents together. It's yes. great. <laughs> we'll lock arms. But, you know, it's funny. We're talking about communism. And it's I, I, when I look at what I've been reading over the past month, they're Russians. Uh, one is Pyotr Rangel. And he was the last Russian leader of the Russian White Army. He, the book had a foreword by Herbert Hoover. He was the last man on the ships that left Odessa uh, for Points West. Uh, and the book is called Always with Honor. And you look at how the, because he, he was describing facets of how the Bolsheviks had come down to the Crimea. And it's very similar. And then I've been reading the abridged version of Solzhenitsyn's Archipelago Gulag. And he taught, there's one thing that really struck me because he was talking about thieves. Now, the communists, they didn't want people to have private property. And so they were in cahoots with the thieves. It's like, see someone over there, steal their stuff, kill them if they put up a resistance. And it, you kind of see that with the way these district attorneys have been. Uh, uh, elected into these cities where they basically made crime illegal. You know, again, just steal from, you know, the small businesses and the people. And that's okay because, well, we don't, what is it Klaus Schwab said? You will own nothing and like it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> said nothing about them. But, right. And, and, and then, of course, the censorship that we're all facing, which you guys are uh, just experiencing like like that's 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 too coincidental that it would be such an attack like that you know the all of this uh mass illegal immigration all of these things are historically you know and i i it, it was funny because i am a homeschooling mom and when i was last year um we were teaching about we we had she learned about the the bolsheviks and it was funny um because when we were teaching that there was a lot of things where she just stops and looks at me and goes that's kind of happening now, isn't it, mom? Yeah. Yeah. It I mean, and it's frightening to hear these voices from Russia, you know, that period when the Bolsheviks took over uh, until they finally, you know, took full control of this, of the Soviet Union. Uh, it's, 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 it's obviously 
whoever had that template kept it. <laughs> and they've been hard at work uh, and they're applying it now. And again, I think, you know, the strength is a strong republic and a, an informed and involved uh, citizenry. Uh, and whether it's local or national, I, as I mentioned, I live here in, in Lancaster, in Lancaster County, and we have a small group called Respect Farmland. And we are four out of five in terms of stopping development of farmland. And we can do that because I, when I lived in Los Angeles for 20 years, we tried to fight a development, lost every time, the corruption, mm -hmm. the, the, the old, the politics. But here where people go back as far as nine generations and where you can sit down with people because there's distant relations, there's people who know people, there's a level of trust that you can have. You can be highly effective in protecting your communities. And uh, I wish if nothing else, and, you know, I was always told, you know, we had, we're head started progressives for immigration reform. It was, uh, the, the whole idea of it came up. I was found because at that time I was on the executive board of the California Democratic Party and I was a very well-known progressive. I ran the Pasadena Democracy for America, which was kind of the afterburner for Dean for America. And I was at a town hall on immigration and I said, you know, look, I'm the son of an immigrant, but I've yet to see how more people is going to improve our education, our healthcare delivery, or this or that. And, and I like, look, I get it. You know, it needs to be well-regulated. It needs to be limited. And, you know, people went ballistic. There was an old woman waving her cane and going, get them off stage. Get them off stage. <laughs> oh, wow. But wow. then when I left, uh, these people came running up to me and started putting cards in my hand and saying, thank God someone's saying it. And mm -hmm. that's how um, I uh, met in a number of people uh, to include a former governor. And um, we decided to kind of try to have that conversation with the left on, you know, the, the consequences of unbridled immigration. And as, as you've seen, it's grown into a number of different uh, platforms at this point. And um, it's, I'm just hoping we can solve this before it gets so bad that, you know, uh, because it will eventually be solved. The question is, what state will the country be in when it is? And that's one of the things that I will, I, I've said so many times, and I will continue to say it till I'm blue in the face or that I, you know, until until this has stopped, at least the bleeding and we're getting a handle on it. I'm like, look, by the time that people wake up to what, how, how bad things are, uh, because of course I see more, uh, I'll be heading down back towards the border at the first week of August. Um, you know, and I see it and I see how it's impacting the DFW area and the Metroplex areas and with Alliance for Safe Texas, that's our goal is to highlight how that not just what's coming over the border, you know, uh, and, and that impact to those that live around, you know, uh, South Texas, but also how it impacts the Metroplex areas, because of course they're not staying along the border. Right. Um, and then the impacts to education, the impacts to our property taxes, the impacts to, and we're kind of running out of time. I, I hope maybe next time we'll be able to dive into oh a little bit gosh. more housing. <laughs> I know it's been great, but uh, you know, and then of course the action items and, and that's, and before we kind of let you go to, I want to just highlight the current action item for what we're talking about, about the NDAA, because although it has passed in the house, and let me just back up really quickly here. I've said it so many times that we are where we are because of the failures of both parties. We have laws in place and, and they always, it's, it's a loose translation here. And then this administration wants to translate it this way and this and that. It's not that the laws don't exist. Is it perfect? No, but we can't even try to address the issues within immigration uh, that still exist simply because we can't even agree on the laws that are already in place. And, right. and with amnesty style, you know, and which we've talked about all of the issues, you know, from from this this NDAA and amnesty style and how it's impacting the higher, you know, uh, the higher skilled and the lower skilled. We've, we, I think we've co we've covered a lot today, uh, but I want to talk about the or just really quick tie this into the action item here. Right. The, you know, the main thing is uh, I have a degree of confidence that wiser heads will prevail in the Senate and these things will be stripped out 
much like uh, the immigration provisions that were put into what a bill called the Competes Act, which is about investing in like our semiconductor industry and our STEM workers. Of course, they tried to put immigration provisions into that uh, in the House. But I'm hoping when the NDAA goes to the Senate and they're in conference, this the this amendment gets stripped out. It has absolutely this and probably hundreds of other amendments to the bill have no business being in a defense appropriations bill. And that is exactly what we are calling for. You guys can go to securetheborder.us. What we have done is we have actually put on there, number one, we're asking for you, uh, if you are part, if you are one of the constituents of one of these, um, you know, representatives in the House that voted for this amnesty amendment, we did not, we narrowed it down. We're not talking about those who voted for the NDAA as a whole, okay? This is just for this amnesty amendment. That's what we narrowed it down to. Um, and, and give them a call. First, share your right. displeasure with them doing that. And we have it where you can go ahead and click, right? We have their names. We have their contacts. You can click right on that. It'll take right Brilliant. on whatever link Brilliant. it is. Yep. And you can just stress stress your just displeasure of that because it's important. And, and I want to focus on this too, that uh, th this is the first of many to come with uh, other appropriation type bills and, and things like that that's to come. And if you, you need to let them know we're watching you. And I don't care if you call us a fringe group. I don't care if you say that we don't know what we're talking about. No, we most certainly do. And we are watching you. And so while it passed the House, it can be stopped in the Senate. And then we want you to go ahead and contact it here in the great state of Texas. Contact Senator Cruz's office because honestly, in my opinion right now, Cornyn's going to be just focus on that Senator Cruz. the absolute worst. And the next time we get together, we need to talk about Cornyn, his relationship with these Indian-based uh, outsourcing companies. He is he, he will do whatever they tell them to, and we will talk about the Newfeld memo. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And while you guys are there, also go ahead uh, and, and volunteer right here. If you are tired of just watching these, you want to do something, we have several different ways. Of course, our main focus here is in the state of Texas on the state level and on the city and county levels. But of course, with, situation like, with situations like this, we're also trying to keep a watchful eye on our state uh, representatives and senators that uh, congressional level. Um, with stuff like this. So we'll also occasionally put out these type of action items. So please sign up there if you want to get active, engaged, and involved. Uh, send that. It'll go right to us. Tell us which where you'd like to volunteer at. And then let's focus on contacting Senator Cruz and try to stop that and voice your displeasure. But yes, I mean, unfortunately, th this is just one no, more. I would, even, I would even reach out to Cornyn too. At least they need to hear it because it's funny. When we first started U.S. tech workers and started hitting back on H-1B, it, it, so many legislative aides said, wow, this is the first time Americans are showing up at our door. And what, what would you say, you've been doing this for a long time, okay? I have a lot of people who are just like, well, I, I mean, they're not going to listen to me anyways. They're, they're not, they don't care what we have to say. Do you think that there's value in doing this? Absolutely. There are two things that occupy 80% of a politician's mind, and that is getting elected and getting reelected. They they need the massive war chests to buy the advertising to get them elected. If voters are coming to them with an issue, that shortcuts all the money and everything else. And they're like, wow, if one person shows up, there has to be a hundred people feel the same way. If one person sends me an email, there's probably 10 people that feel the same way. And if they're holding a rally, wow, that could tip an election. So this activity is incredibly important. Never forget we are in a republic, a democratic republic. And we put these people in office. We can take them out. Years ago in Arizona, when I was actually a volunteer with Ross Perot's United We Stand America, we put a congressman in office in 1992. And when he voted against us on NAFTA, he didn't even run for re-election because he knew he couldn't hold the district. And we told him as much. I watched him slump in his seat. So we have the power. We most certainly do. And I, Kevin, I am just, I'm so thankful. I look forward to the next one. Yes, next one, let's definitely focus on that because that's a whole other John. You bet, Sheena, and thank you for your work. 
you're doing yeoman's work there in the state of Texas. It's important. And uh, everyone just please support Sheena's work. You're, you're the best. Thank you. And, and we have our the new nonprofit Alliance for a Safe Texas. They can visit securetheborder.us. Uh, to donate on there, we do. Uh, we're going to be putting out our goals for next month to really hopefully get us up and going and get us started. And I'll be joining you guys up there in D.C. come September for the uh, immigration school. I'm really excited about that. That's but Kevin, right. Yeah. Really yes. excited. It'll be a lot of fun. It'll be really good. So if y'all want to help me get to D.C., otherwise I will drive my car and sleep in my car if I need to. But it would be gas is expensive, too. So even if I have to resort to that. But otherwise, if they want to help to donate to Alliance for Safe Texas, there is that donate tab on securetheborder.us. Please do so. Five dollars, ten dollars, whatever y'all can do. I hate even asking. But yeah, that, that's where we're at. So anyways, where before we close out. Where can they find you again, you and uh, the organizations that sure. you... Uh, www.progressiveforimmigrationreform.com, www.ustechworkers.com. We're on Twitter. We're on Facebook. Uh, Twitter is probably where we're most active these days. We also have YouTube channels. Uh, we do do little uh, short videos kind of educating people on these different immigration programs. Uh, so... Uh, Tune in. Uh, much more is yet to come, and we're in for a rough next several months before the end of the year. But I believe if we all pull together, we're gonna we're gonna do really well. We're gonna be happy with what the results we get, and we're gonna enter. It's gonna be rough in 2023, the economy and everything else, but we're gonna be able to secure the republic at the end of the day. Kevin, thank you so much. I'm so honored and blessed to call you, dare I say, call you a friend. Thank you for everything that you do. Thank you for spending thank some you. time on here with us today. Thank you so much, Kevin. Thank you. Thank you very much, Sheena. Thank you. Okay, guys. So we're going to go ahead and just wrap this up. I know we're going a few minutes overboard. Just a few quick reminders. Actually, first, my daughter, uh, the uh, mini me version, her Bible verse that she wanted to share with you guys today was, Ephesians 5, 6, let no one, and she did write it there. All that, wait, that there? Nope, yeah, okay, I'm not good at this. Uh, although it's really small, so we're gonna have to like bring that up here for her Bible verse of the week. But Ephesians 5, 6, let no one deceive you with empty words. I felt like this was really appropriate. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Do not be deceived check and verify, and then get active, engaged, and involved. Go to securetheborder.us for your action items. Sign up for the emails. You can view our podcast and the broadcast there. Find us on all of our social media pages. Alliance for the Safe Texas is the 501c4. You guys, we also have pages uh, for that as well. So just find us there. Thank you guys so very much. And let's, oh, and also we have uh, several different events coming up, the Border 911 events in Houston in August. I don't remember the date off the top of my head. Uh, and then of course the Fredericksburg Tea Party um, event coming up. Like you need a reason to go to the Texas Hill Country. I'm giving you guys one. Uh, I've shared all that information to purchase the ticket and they have chosen Alliance for a Safe Texas as one of the beneficiary or as the beneficiary this year to receive 10% of the donations that they received for their fundraising year. So guys, please come on out there and see us there in Fredericksburg and see us there in Houston support some some great causes as well uh, doing that. So thank you guys. Visit securetheborder.us, securetheborder.us, get active, engaged, and involved, and let's continue to do all that we can. I am your humble host, Sheena Rodriguez with the Secure the Border podcast, uh, and let's continue to do all that we can to secure our sovereign state border and save our sweet Texas. Y'all have a great weekend. God bless. Thank you.
COVID. Yes. And I had to get a color-coded bracelet. Yes, like the one I'm wearing. Yes, and you know who else did that? It's the Mexican cartel. Thank you for your time and let's go Brandon.